John chapter 3, continue to look at the gospel of John. It has been a rich, wonderful study thus far. I have been extremely blessed just by uh, just in studying and getting uh, more familiar with uh, this gospel. Today we're going to find ourselves in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 3. John chapter 3, 19 through 21. I'll be preaching from the ESV. If you don't have an ESV Bible, we have some in the back. Uh, you can raise your hand. Uh, you can get up and, and go grab one. It'd be, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm going to read this passage for us. I'm going to pray, ask God to help us, and then we will look at what God's word has to say to us today. John, I'm actually going to read, I'm going to read 16 through 21, uh, just to put it all in context. So John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, uh, would you hear God's word today? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us pray. Father God, we are ever so grateful for your word. We're ever so grateful that you have given us your word. You have sent your spirit to work in and through each and every one of your people, and that by studying your word, Lord, we can grow in Christ-likeness. So, Lord, that is our prayer today. My prayer is for those that are believers, that they would be encouraged, they would be challenged, would be edified. I pray for those that may be weary, heavy laden, would find refuge in you, God. I pray that you would draw the sinner, the one that may be rejecting you with all their being, that you would draw them to salvation by your grace. Father, we need your help today, and so we ask what we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So today we come to the end of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. 
In this conversation, Jesus has provided Nicodemus with an extensive lesson in soteriology. That's just a fancy word for the doctrine of salvation. He has explained the necessity of the new birth and the inability of man to generate this new birth on his own. Telling Nicodemus that the new birth that he speaks of is one that can only be accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Jesus then proceeds to tell Nicodemus that the central and essential component of salvation is the fact that he himself will be lifted up as a sacrifice so that all who believe in him as their substitute will be saved. And then our Lord gives Nicodemus the reason and motivation for this sacrifice as he expounds the beauty of God's love by telling Nicodemus that God has set his love on the world. And then he has expressed his love by sending his only son as a sacrifice to die and that all who believe in him would be set apart for eternal fellowship with the Creator. Last week, we also read that Jesus tells Nicodemus that he came to save the world, not condemn the world. And the reason that he gives for this is because the world is already condemned. This means that each and every person that has ever been born since the beginning of time has a common denominator that most people don't even realize. And the common denominator is this. All of humanity stands under the righteous judgment of God. We talked about this some last week. By nature, we are all guilty of sin. And because of our sin, we are all rightly deserving of God's righteous judgment towards sin. Destruction. Eternal ruin. Uses the word perishing here. This is what we all deserve. And look, this isn't because something happened to us. Uh, We aren't just a victim of circumstance. Humanity has not been treated unfairly. Consider Paul's words in Romans 3.23. For, probably know this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who has sinned? All. We have all sinned. And then we move quickly to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what is a wage? A wage is something you earn. Uh, If you have a job, uh, you go to work and you earn a wage. It's a payment for your work. The payment, we are told, for our sin is death. It's what we have earned Because of our sin. So we deserve death. We need life. 
we need something to happen. We need something to change. This is the heart, the message of the gospel of John. John even gives us a purpose statement in chapter 20, verse 31. And he says, but these are written so that you may believe. And believe what? Well, he tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the, the whole point of this. John is saying, hey, I want you to see that you need Jesus because you need life. I want you to believe in him so that you may have eternal life. See, those who are rightly destined for destruction need new life in Christ. And this is what Jesus has been telling Nicodemus this whole time. It is what we have been looking at in chapter 3 the past couple of weeks. And here in our text, we get a further explanation of the truths that he has presented thus far. The point he is making, the, the thesis statement here, is simple and it's clear. It is only by God's grace that lovers of darkness become lovers of light. It is only by God's grace that lovers of darkness become lovers of light. I've got two quick, simple headings for us. Two bullet points, two main ideas if you are taking notes. Number one, humanity's starting point. And number two, God's redirection. It's what we see in this text. We see humanity's starting point, and God redirect and change us. Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment, we read. So essentially what he's saying here is, this is why they're guilty. This is the reason for their condemnation. Remember, Nicodemus is a high-ranking Jewish Pharisee who thinks that he and all his comrades are in right standing with God because they have, uh, they've, they've kept the law. They, they've done good work. The Pharisees are not rightly thinking that they have done something to deserve the righteous judgment of God. And Jesus is reminding them here that you are all guilty. This is the judgment. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter the, the work that you think you've accomplished. He says, moving on, that the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, we can look back in chapter 1 to see that God, or John uses this term light to describe Jesus himself. Uh, John 1, 7, right, he came as a witness, speaking of John the Baptist, to bear witness about the light, speaking of Jesus himself. And here we read that Jesus has come into the world 
as the light. But people, humanity, each and every person loved darkness instead. They rejected Jesus, the light, and chose darkness. Or in other words, we could say they loved their sin too much to love Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is a reminder to us all that all people are either lovers of darkness or lovers of light. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality in this world. No one is nonpartisan in this life. You either love the light or you love the darkness. Indifference even to God is sin. There's no middle ground here. It's important that we understand this because it helps us to engage in the, with the unbelievers in our lives. See, this truth provides us with a direct path to the root of unbelief in every, every non-Christian in this world. It, it, it's sin. They, they love their sin. Now, sin is manifested in many ways, and there are many things that happen in one's life that contribute to the sins that one may choose. But brother and sister, at the end of the day, it boils down to one ingredient. They love their sin. And let's not miss the fact that Jesus says, all evil works. The the unbelief is not just like casual here. It's not just that they're, you know, okay, well, they're not bothering anyone. He calls it evil works. In other words, he says that the rejection of Jesus is not cute. It's not just simple and it's okay. He says it's evil. They love the darkness. They love their sin. They choose the sin rather than choosing Jesus. J.C. Ryle is ever so helpful here. In a quote, he says, In one way or another, when men refuse to come to Christ, their deeds will always prove to be evil. Rejection of the gospel will always be found to be connected with some moral obliquity. When Christ is refused, we may be quite sure that there is something or other in life or heart. And this is not right. He says, if a man does not love light, his deeds are evil. Human eyes may not detect the flaw, but the eyes of an all-seeing God surely does. End quote. Beloved, as hard as it may be to accept this, it is the reality, and it is a reality that we must take serious. 
Many of you may be thinking right now of someone you know who's an unbeliever. And my prayer is that this helps you to feel the weight and seriousness of unbelief. And and my prayer is that you would, by feeling the weight, you would be compelled to unapologetically share the gospel with this person. Some of you may need to redefine their relationships with unbelievers. Yep. We must be a people that look at unbelievers in a certain way. We love them. We care for them. But the best way to show our love is by pointing them to the truth of God's word. They love their sin. They won't choose Jesus because of that. And if we fail to rightly call out the sin, we fail to rightly diagnose and identify the one thing that needs to change. James 4.4, we read, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Now, this is not to say that we just, we all the world are our enemies, but it does give us instruction on the way that our relationships should be defined. Then we read as we continue on that not only does the world love their sin, they love it so much that they, they just want to hide it. They, they want to conceal it. Look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Now, we don't have to look very far for the realities of this truth. The natural man does not want their sin exposed. Look, if we're all honest with ourselves, we will admit that most of us, most of the time, we we don't want to just have our sin exposed. There's a natural temptation to kind of hide this one over here, right? We'll just hide this. We won't, you know, we'll kind of won't let anyone know about this. We'll, We'll keep this one to ourselves. But praise be to God that by his grace, he teaches us that his children are renewed. And that when we neglect temptation to hide our sin, we see that we are brought into fellowship with the God who can forgive us. See, it's only when our sin is exposed that it is then able to be exterminated. Uh, John read this earlier in our time of confession, but I'll read it again. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have all heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Here we see John using this language again. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if, 
we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise be to God. If you are a believer and you have confessed your sin to the Savior, you can be assured that you have been set apart, you've been made new, and your reality is that Jesus' blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Now, as Christians, we continually walk in a pattern of confession and repentance, knowing that we have not reached perfection. We will not reach perfection this side of eternity. Anyone who tells you otherwise is telling you a lie. We are on the way to glory, becoming more like Christ as we go. The Lord is preparing a bride for his son. And as we are prepared and purified and cleansed, we need to be people that continually move towards the light so that the light would expose us and cleanse us. And here, Jesus expounds the fact that if someone continues to reject the light, it is because they are a lover of darkness. They don't want their sins exposed by Jesus. They reject the cleansing power. They reject it by saying, I'm going to keep doing the things I want to do. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Or sometimes we might hear the, like, I don't need your Jesus. Like, I'm okay over here. We find it, especially in our modern day, that People create a false Jesus, right? They, they create a Jesus. They, they make for themselves a, a God that lets the sins that they struggle with or, or maybe someone that they know that they're, they're close to, they love. Well, well, my God, he wouldn't be angry about fill in the blank. They say, well, that one's concealable because God's not really worried about that. But here, Jesus says, people conceal their sins because they are wicked. They love their sin. And we shouldn't just think of the external wicked sin that most of us would agree are wicked. We know that many God-haters are happy to expose their sins to the world, but they flaunt it every chance they get. We see this take place all over our world today, especially in, in Hollywood and that culture. It's a growing boldness in our godless society that says we hate God and we don't care if you know it. And while this type of deliberate disobedience to God will show to be dealt with in Christ's first arrival, as those committing such acts repent and believe the gospel before he returns again, or it will be dealt with 
by Christ's second coming when he returns to judge the living and the dead. Remember, we looked at that last week. Christ will return to judge. Sometimes we'll read uh, in my family, in our family devotion, we'll, we'll read through uh, Revelation and uh, certain portions of it for my, my young kids. And my three-year-old, he, he loves, right, like the, the sword of Jesus coming out of his mouth. The, the, the tattoo on his thigh, king of kings, lord of lords. And uh, my, my little guy will he'll say, Jesus, read us, or not Jesus, daddy, read us about Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth. And what I want my kids to see is that Christ is victorious. That sin will not go unpunished. What is happening right now to those that continue to walk in unrebellion, they are storing up wrath in the day of judgment. And I don't say that lightly or flippantly. It is true. And brothers and sisters, we must be a people that grab a hold to that truth and, and, and understand it and let it be the motivation to speak truth in love. We must also remember that sometimes it is the internal sin that man attempts to conceal and harbor in one's life. Pride. Self-righteousness, self-pity, greed, selfishness, or any of the other sins that are easier to internally hide from those around us, which then makes us think and deceives us that we can somehow keep them from God. One of the best ways to examine your faith, to examine yourself, to to, to ask yourself, am, am I in the faith, is to, to say, to honestly answer this question. Am I hiding my sin or exposing my sin to my Savior? Do I hide what I'm doing? Or do I take my sin to Jesus, trusting that he has the power to change me? See, we are all tempted to try to hide sin, right? I mean, isn't that what happened in the garden? What happens? Adam and Eve, they sin. They've been fellowshipping with the Lord God. They, they know who God is. They sin. And what do they try to do? They, they hide. They try to remove themselves from God. They reject God in that time. But instead, brothers and sisters, of hiding from God, we should be a people who run to God with confession, trusting that he will give us exactly what we need. And look, hasn't God proved that by giving us his son? Hasn't God proved and shown us the measures of his love for us, his compassion, his willingness to forgive by putting his son forth. 
that his son would die the death we deserve. In exchange, we would get the life that we don't deserve. See, the gospel is the great news that Jesus has come to save us from this powerful grip of sin. And we see that we are all by natures, we are lovers of darkness. This is the reality of all of humanity. This text teaches us that by nature we are all idolaters. We are habitually choosing darkness over light. We habitually, before Christ intercedes, before God does the work, humanity is continually, over and over, choosing darkness. Brother and sister, Christian, this is the backdrop to which all Christians must see the grace of God. This is the canvas that God paints the glorious story of redemption on. It isn't that like we were okay and we just needed a little help. It isn't that like there's some that are doing pretty good over here and some that are doing pretty bad. They're they're not doing so good. And so so God just got to you know, he's got to help them out a little bit, give them a, a couple of steps to, to help them get up to where they need to be. A lost lover of darkness is all of humanity's starting point. Lover of darkness. But praise be to God. We see the glorious truth that God is in the business of redirecting one's past. Look at verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We see this promise for those that live a life in the light, a life of doing what is true. Essentially what this means is those that are open and honest with their sins. Those that would come to Jesus with an honest admittance of their need for a Savior. Hey, look, once again, there's no hocus pocus here. There isn't any, like, laundry list of things you need to do to get your act together in order to have this reality. He says they come to the light. In other words, they believe in the light, in Jesus Christ. They allow their sin to be exposed by the light. And what is clearly seen here? Look at the text. What is clearly seen? That his works have been carried out in God. That God, the creator, 
has done something. He's, he's done something. He's made this person new. He's redirected and carried out something new in this believer. I think the words works, that his works are used intentionally here as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who once again was a man who was dependent on his works. But Jesus tells him here that human works won't do the trick. There's nothing that you can do to reconcile you to the God that you have rejected. Brothers and sisters, we don't move from lovers of darkness to lovers of light on our own. This is the language of Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 through 11. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He asks them this question here. And then he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the reality. That is our starting point. We all find ourselves in one time or another, in one of those categories. But who does the work here? Who changes us? Who works in us that we would move from darkness to light? Brothers and sisters, it is clear to see that it is only by God's grace that we are moved. And only when we rightly see our condition before and apart from God's divine intervention, will we rightly worship Christ for all that he is. Listen, if, if you just if you think that you were doing okay and, and Jesus just came along and, and gave you a little pep talk, you will miss the point. Until you see the depravity, the lostness, the darkness that you once chose. And then the beauty of God's work, salvation. He would put forth his own son. He would give his life, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that when he does this, 
we don't just get eternal life. We get imputed righteousness. His righteousness now becomes our righteousness. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Only when we rightly understand the condition of unbelievers will we be able to properly minister to them and engage with them in this world. We must get this right. We must not think that indifference is just okay. We must not think that there's just some that are they're neutral. We must realize that all rejection of God, of Jesus, is evil, is sinful. And in order to properly engage with them, must point them to the one who loved them, set his love on the world, and gave his son so that whoever believes could have eternal life. That is the only way that we will ever be moved. So just a question to ask yourself today as we close is this. My lover of darkness, or am I a lover of light? And if the first proves to be true, I would exhort you, encourage you, challenge you to ask God to graciously carry out the work needed to bring you to the light. Confess your sin, exposing yourself to the one who has the power to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. May we give praise and glory to our God who has redirected, changed our sinful hearts changed our desires, that we would even want to get up early and come worship him. My prayer for the church, for Christ's covenant fellowship, is that we would be a people who are eager to give God the glory, the worship, and the praise he deserves because we see the depths of rescue that he did. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have done the work that we could never do, that you would put forth your son, he would die the death that we deserve, you would change our wicked, sinful hearts, that you would replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And Father, that's what we ask today, that you would move in this place, that you would do the work that only you can do. You know each and every person in here far greater than they know themselves. So Lord, help us to be a people that are drawn to the light, 
eager to be exposed so that we can receive the blessing of salvation. I pray that in Christ's name, amen.